you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today, if you've ever wondered as, you know, an entrepreneur with a very small business, so five or under employees, if you can create vision for your business, then I think you really want to listen to today's episode. I want to welcome James Balladis. He's a CEO mentor, a WSJ bestselling author. He's a lawyer and an entrepreneur. Wouldn't you just like to create not just a, you know, ordinary vision, as most of us have tried, but a compelling vision that acts like a magnet for your business, employees, customers, and profits? Impossible, some would say, but the proof is there. We must control the vision killers, and an evolution is needed in the way we create our visions. And that's why Jim is here. Sorry, James is here today. Or Jim. Actually, it's both. His bio says James, and his link says Jim. So we'll go back and forth between the two. He is here today because he has mentored many CEOs to double and triple their revenue by really defining their vision in an evolutionary way. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate that. And and I love the intro. Thank you for the James and Jim, because I go by either, but usually it's my mother that called me James. It's funny. Back in public school, I had a friend whose name was James, but every year at the beginning of the year, he'd pick a different version. So one year he was James, the next year he was Jim, the next year he was Jimmy. So you always had to find out at the beginning of the year what what his preferred version of his name he wanted to be called that year. A bit older than you are, otherwise that would have been me. (laughs) That's what I did. Jimbo, Jimmy, James, Jim. I did all kinds of things. I don't know why. Just break it up. It's one of those names that you can do so much with. Like, it's fun to be able to change your names out. I mean, right? with my name, I'm literally named Kim. And I'm not even Kimberly. My parents just named me Kim. So there's Kim and there's Kimmy. Because if you call me yeah. Kimberly, that's not my name. So Kim, Kim Chiru. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim. I would love to start with the, you know, the very big obvious question. Let's let's take a look at a big picture look at this. You know, can entrepreneurs, you know, even when they're very small, have vision for their business? Yes. And we have to do it a little different than we've been doing it. That's the extraordinary part of this. And I didn't develop this out of a theory. I developed it out of my own life because even as a lawyer, uh, 35 years or 32 years, I think at that point, about eight years ago. And at that point, you know, I just kind of felt like, okay, that's the vision is for other people. I'm, I'm here to generate revenue, make sure that my income is good, pay all the employees that I have and run this practice. 
And uh, vision is for those that run big enterprise. That's what I thought. But deep down inside, there's something inside of us that says, I want to do more. I really want to more than just this. And we get kind of frustrated at some point. And that's when we have to start looking at, okay, well, how do we transgress this, this vision bridge, this, this sort of it's them or it's not nobody, you know, I got to be an Elon Musk or something in order to do that. And, and you don't, you don't have to, but you got to look at it from a different perspective. I love that, Jim. Thank you for saying that, because I think sometimes, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, it's very hard. We've got all of these, you know, big gurus who have these bigger companies, you know, that are telling us all these things that we have to do. And yet in, in most cases, it's not even feasible for us to do let alone once we do it, implement all the steps it takes to be successful at it, because we don't have the resources to be able to do that. So I loved how you said that we can do it, but we have to do it differently. James, I want to I want to start off a little bit more with your story. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you are and how did you get into helping, you know, us small entrepreneurs create vision for our businesses? Well, I did it because I did it for myself. Essentially, as I as I alluded to earlier, I felt a bit stuck. Very profitable, a very successful law practice, but I didn't. I wanted to do more. I wanted more opportunity. I wanted to be involved in more things than just law. And it wasn't until I realized the vision killer in me, the person who had well practiced how to kill a vision. In fact, I'm a lawyer, obviously, so you kill vision just naturally, don't you? When I, when I realized that and, and how that was happening, I set about the business of trying to change that because we're all killing our vision a little bit, aren't we? As soon as we start saying, oh, I want to do something, we look for validation and then somebody tells us, well, you don't have the money for that. You don't have the resources. Or like you said, you don't have the time or the people. Immediately, the vision goes into the, into the drink. It's, it's done. And we need to do differently. So... In my story, what I had to do is come up with a way in which I could actually com- communicate with myself in a more positive way than vision killing. And that took a year or two. And when, once I broke through that and realized the opportunities that were available to me, then it was, it was a higher trajectory. And I became a mentor to CEOs. And I would tell them, hey, I did this. You want to try it? Sure. And they had success. And then after they had success, it's like I did not want to write another book. I really didn't. I mean, I already wrote three and one of them is a Wall Street bestseller. I did not want to write another book, but this one screamed at me. You better, you better share it. So that's how kind of I've gotten to where I am today. The reluctant author, I guess. I love it, James. It's it's funny because, you know, like some people are like, I just want to write a book. I just want to write a book. And you're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I can sell you the t-shirt. But if I don't, this thing's never getting out of my head. <laughs> That's what it is. And if it's in my head or if I'm sharing it in a small way, then I just felt like I was holding back on something that really was different. You know, we all, if you've been an entrepreneur for any period of time running a small company, you've come, I'm sure, across Simon Sinek's great work, to Find My Why. And it's a great book. And you, you ought to read it. It's a stepping stone to where we need to go. But nobody else cares about your why. So when you find your why and you say, oh, I found it, and this is why I want to do it, nobody else cares because it's your personal why. So one of the things we have to change is we have to involve other people 
in our vision mm-hmm. before we start yeah. implementing our vision. In the creation phase, it shouldn't be our vision, our personal vision. It should be our vision in more than one person. And that's the start of a new way of looking at it. Because most often, the visionaries that we emulate, they've already achieved. They're coming back and telling you how they did it. And so you're going, well, I don't know if I'm that person, but you are extraordinarily. And and when you're unbridled, then it happens. And so this is the first step is to is to start communicating your vision in a way and controlling the vision killer around you in a way that allows you to go bigger than just you or even bigger than just your client. Well, I think we're going to get deep into that vision killer. I'm hearing that thinking, hmm. We need to go there today. But audience, we are going to take a quick ad break. RTI Publishing has lots of resources to help you not only write, produce, and publish a book that converts readers into clients, but also will help you take the book and use it to scale your business. We will be right back. One of the keys to becoming an author is hiring the right publisher. It's the difference between having a book that converts readers into clients and one that sits unused on a shelf. Check out seven questions to ask before hiring a publisher. Get it free at authortoauthority.com slash publisher. Welcome back. Okay, I think we just got to go into this vision killer because, wow, I know a few times in my life, I've had this big dream, big vision, and man, it's been killed, slaughtered, butchered, put out for sale. Nobody wanted it. So let's talk about that, you know, those vision killers and, you know, how how do you conquer them? Let's first understand that the vision killer comes at a very early age. How many parents want to protect your children? So when I was very young, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I don't know why, I can't tell you why I said this or how smart it was, but I said, oh, you know, I'm going to be a lawyer. And it was Jim or James at that time with my mom, right? We don't have the money. You don't have the schooling. You'd have to go to college, then law school. I had no family that had gone to college. We, We grew up on the side of the tracks where I built my own bike. We weren't bought a bike, those kinds of things. And so right away, she was that she was vision killing with the intention of protecting me, right? This is what most vision killing is, is people trying to protect you from whatever decision that you're making, but they don't have enough information yet. So I could tell you my story. It's a bit lengthy, but let me summarize it this way. My wife set out with her product and her goal to, to serve over a million babies. And as a lawyer, I would consistently vision kill. And I tell this story in detail in my upcoming book. But the truth is, as I was taught, as As in a public forum, as she felt supported by other people, I realized how much I had been holding her back by my vision killing. And so we so we need to to recognize first that people are not doing it because they're they want to harm you or they want to hold you back or they want to bridle you. But most of them, they're trying to protect you. And at the CEO level or even at the small business owner level, your employees, if they care about you, they want to protect you, too. They want to make sure you can get things done. And so therefore, and not be wasteful and then end up, you know, with a, a half done something, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing we have to do is that the vision creation stage is to understand one thing. This is the only thing you need to remember about vision killing that I whittle down to. All vision killing is in how. How do we do it? 
all of it. I have not yet been, I've challenged hundreds and not yet had somebody demonstrate to me the vision is wrong. It's always in how you're going to get it done. And more ways to do things than we can even comprehend at this moment. So at the early stages of vision, this is the phrase that stops all vision killing. You say it this way, hey, it sounds like you're in execution of my vision. Play with me in vision for a bit more. What this does is for the doer that's your friend or that's your parent or that's your employee or that's your coworker or your, your co-founder, what it does is it gives them permission to not try and protect you. And it allows them to join you in the vision creation. And as the vision starts to be created, more resources come to you because you have now not just your resources, but your resources and that person. And as we continue to build our vision, three, four, five, six people, even if you have a company of five, involving all of the employees in the vision is tremendously impactful because it now becomes their vision too. And all of their resources and the people that they know become involved in the vision as well. And it starts to act as that magnet, it starts pulling people in. That is the best way to control vision killer. Mm. Wow, you just unpacked something really, really big there. And I loved how you said to invite people into the vision with you. And I never thought of it before, but you are so correct. It's the how. That's the question. It's not that people don't think that the vision is good. They just don't want you to get hurt in the process. They don't want you to try and fail. And I don't know about you, but every entrepreneur I know, including myself, failure has been a vital part of the entrepreneurial process. Of course. I mean, how often do we fear the failure? Because, you know, if we've been there and been bitten once, you don't want to get bit again. Stick your hand in there, put your hand on the flame again. And, Ouch, that hurt the first time. I don't need to do it again. Uh, but, but the truth is when we start developing our way in which we can communicate with others about our vision, instead of it just being my vision, I'm, hey, so you show up at a cocktail party. By the way, this is a great little trick. If your vision is you don't want to say it at a cocktail party, it's not big enough. It's only about you. I want to make a million bucks. Nobody wants to go into a cocktail party and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a million bucks. We're afraid to go too big because we're afraid people will ridicule us. But the truth is, when we go to a cocktail party, we say, hey, you know what? My new vision is to do X. And people are genuinely interested in it. They'll support you. They'll actually recommend resources to you. They'll provide you with ways in which to get your vision done. And that's the exciting part is then suddenly they're going, they're asking you the next time that you see them, hey, what's going on with your vision? I'll give you a little tiny snippet of, a, of an example to press this point home. If I, if I went in, sat down with four or five people, I said, okay, I'm about feeding the world. Let's feed the world. I could just, in my own head, I can see the eyes rolling, right? Oh, yeah, here he is. Okay, this, this I don't know this guy. I don't know how much he thinks he can get done, but that's a really big vision, right? The truth is, though, that in an instant, I can change their mind if I said, oh, yeah, and Elon Musk has joined me in my vision, and he's going to throw in a million bucks. And I've got uh, Sir Branson. He's going to throw in you know, a billion dollars. All of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. This guy's got something here. So if we, if we start providing people with the vision and then letting them play with us in the yeah. vision, the resources may very well 
become that big that quick because they're interested as well, right? So that's an example of how it can be killed so quickly. And yet you can reverse people's minds so quickly when we talk about execution. So it isn't about the execution. In fact, vision may take a lifetime to, to create, but you can sure have a lot of fun doing it in the process, making plenty of money. I tell my CEOs that I mentor, <clears throat> if you're doing what you love and, and it's a true vision, the money comes. You don't worry about it because it truly does. The revenue starts generating. People start talking about your company and about you instead of you having to pitch to them all the time, right? You know, when you were talking, there was there was two things that kind of came to my mind that I would I would love to touch base on because I I also want to talk about about your books and and you know becoming an author and that. But two things I was thinking of was first of all, you know, we have I think in the beginning especially you have to be careful who you tell your vision to, and then second, find those people like create that group of people that share in your vision, you know. For me, it's always been basically other entrepreneurs who, you know, have have shared the vision with me. And then, you know, when I get to that point where I call them my comrades, you know, when I'm at that point where I'm like, oh, man, this is too hard. I just I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to quit. And you're tired. And, you know, you're going through one of those times. And, you know, if you said that to your family members, they'd be like, oh, yeah, dear, we get it. You know, it's okay. If you want to quit and get a job, we understand, right? And your comrades go, seriously, get up, get moving. We're going to help you. We're going to get you through this. Here's some ideas. Here's some resources, but don't you dare quit. I I love that because it pinpoints exactly how we have been doing it. That is, we have been going to the people that support us. We haven't had the ammunition to go to those that that may not support us. And yet they are tremendous resources for us because they're typically the doers. See, the visionary has a vision and the doer gets it done. The visionary <laughs> goes, hey, I want to do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. The doer goes, no, you can't do it. Do it. What do you, let's bring it down. Let's let gravity pull it back down here. You're way up in the air. Have you heard that, Kim? I know you have. And so, you know, it's, it's starting to resonate, isn't it? And so what ends up happening is then we surround ourselves with a whole bunch of visionaries because they're going to support us. And yet then when we're finally ready to actually take a step to do something, we just have a whole bunch of visionaries and no doers have contributed. Instead, you do have to pick those that you're going to be in vision with. But there's a process you can go through to bring them along, almost everybody. If you can convince me, and I'm a doer, I am a get it done guy. That's how I became a lawyer. If you can convince me to support visionary, then imagine what I can do in support of the visionary once the vision is clarified. But the vision has to be not only just, this is what I want to do, but it's, you know, how is that going to be attractive to other people? What is it that other people are looking to to agree to? How much do they want to commit to this? Is it just a conversation or is it a commitment of resources or is it just who you know? Yeah. And then soon it starts to get this entropy, this its own entropy. So while I would counsel, yes, we should pick some of our visionaries at the early stage as well. I actually advocate that you go after the doers, the ones that you know aren't going to agree. Tell them to play with you, though. Play with me in vision for a while. When you say the word play, you, you bring them back to their own childhood. You bring them back to creation. 
instead of doing, creating from nothing, instead of feeling like I got to have an answer here. And when they start playing, it's amazing to watch them. It was amazing for me to watch myself go, did I really just say that? Did I really just do that? (laughs) I have no clue how I'm going to do that. But did I just say, yeah, we should do that? It's a lot of fun. I'm trying to remember which book it is. It's one of the Go-Giver series, I believe. Might be Influencer. Might be. But um, I always remember one part of the book is, you know, the the coach, he, he's bringing this person along and he's teaching them things and all that. And one of the companies that they go to to meet with another expert, this company has almost like a playroom. And it's it's for the employees where they can create and draw and paint and mastermind and, uh, you know, help each other. And, and it's just this big, huge creative room where you can just do what you want. And I always thought, oh, that would be like so cool to have, well, first of all, to have a company big enough where you have an office space big enough where you can put a room like that. But secondly, that, you know, to have the freedom to create a space where, you know, people can just go and create and think out loud together. You're you're hitting on something. You crave it, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at that smile. You crave it. So does everybody else. Every one of your listeners that that is in business, you crave this. And yet we don't give it to ourselves. We feel like we have to have a big office, but we don't. We can actually do it in our home. We have to have toys around us. We don't, but they help, right? So creating the environment helps to create the attitude, but creating the attitude as a leader in your company, as an influencer, as an author, as a person who's going to present yourself, this is where you need to direct your employees. Hey, play with me for a bit. Hey, just give me a moment. There's no harm in us playing, is there? It's not going to cost me anything to just kick this around for a couple hours. Yeah. And then they get, they actually get excited because they get to then be a contributor rather than just a doer. See, for the doer, the, the doer CEO, they they get everything is so run so efficiently they get bored they're like okay now what do i do they want to go i guess i'll go to another company and fix that company because i'm all done here there's nothing else for me to do the visionary on the flip side they're running around with a notepad and they're throwing things in the air you know it's just oh i got this idea they throw it up there i hope that it'll stick someplace and somebody will pay attention to it and they have a million ideas right so what we're really trying to do is bring both of these together we can be both you don't have to just be a visionary and you don't have to just be a doer. Doer. Yeah. And when we're both or when we play in both, we start to see this change, this evolution. I'm going to tell a story. I hope we have enough time for this. This is a really important story. It's Nadia. Nadia was born in Russia in the 1990s. And in that time frame, they were going through a political turmoil. That's when Russia converted over to what they are now from pure communism, if that's what we would call it, or socialism, whatever. And they had a they had a threefold uptick in, in babies given up for adoption because of the uncertainty of the economy. And in addition to that, they had a one half, 50% reduction in the number of babies that were adopted in Russia. So Nadia was one of those children given up for adoption. And you could see that there was some struggle that was ahead of her to have any kind of a home life other than by state-run institution. But she was also in a confined bed. And the reason that she was in that confined bed was not to be evil, 
but because she was born without bones in her feet and in her lower limbs. Mm -hmm. And so she was not only not going to be adopted, it didn't appear, but also she was confined and there was no no thought about what was going to go on in her life. It kind of looks like a, impossible, doesn't it? And at this point, I want you to just be in this moment with me for just a moment, because when we're facing that impossible feeling, this is when I want you to draw on this story. Nadia was adopted, thankfully, God blessed, by a Baltimore family. And they had two children that were healthy and normal. And when they brought Nadia over, they had her, her the portions of her legs that were not functional amputated, and they made some devices for her. And prosthetics. And so she had what would be a normal life. 10, she jumped into the pool and she was fast without prosthetics. And as she continued to swim, she got faster and faster. Now I'm going to shortcut this story, but by the time she was 17 and 18, Nadia was competing in the top three and 2% of the swimmers in the world without prosthetic change. In other words, with a shortened feet. And yeah. so it was an amazing feat. Now, here's what was incredible. In her last racing, she was interviewed. And when she was interviewed, the interviewer asked her, you know, well, what do you, why do you do this? She says, at first, I swam because I wanted to prove to myself that I could get it done. How many of us do that? How many of you prove to yourself that you can do it? I do, right? But then she said, I changed my mindset. Now I swim also to show other people they can do it. And yeah. that's very much. That would be the end of the story if we don't evolve, because we see all these successful people going, if you do what I did, then you'll be successful. And you think, well, I don't know. Now, I want you to think just for a second, we're going to switch her viewpoint just for a second. What if at 10 and 11, Nadia declared, I'm going to not only do this because I want to prove to myself, but I want to prove to others that they can do it too. Imagine the the media coverage of her struggles and successes, the support she would receive, the people around her other than her parents would have said, oh, don't go too high, right? Because they're trying to protect her. But imagine all of the people around her that she would have influenced and how that would have changed the trajectory of her career substantially. This is the entrepreneurial spirit that you need to delve into right here. It isn't when you've succeeded that you look back and say, oh, I did it this way. It's right now that you say, it doesn't matter that I struggle. What matters is that I'm going after what I really want to do, what I really want to accomplish. And the vision is bigger than you and bigger than your client. And naturally, then they you just happen to be in the silo that that pays you in that, that small sector yeah. of whatever the vision is, right? So if it were feed the world and you had a nonprofit, you were running a little small nonprofit, your your value is in whatever that that element of nonprofit work that you're doing. That is a cool vision. That's what we need to do. Create our visions before we're successful and then get people around us to helping us to achieve it. I like it, Jim. But we're just about out of time. So I do want to get to at least one of your books. And I've got to ask you the question that I ask every single author. So first of all, Tell us about the current book you're working on, the name, where you're at with it, and then I'll ask you the question. The book is the three, Vision Maker, Three Weeks to Creating a Powerful Directive that will inspire your employees and will in, in ignite you. That's the name of the book. And it's going to be out in January, February of 24. 
Nice. Nice. I, okay, so I, can ask almost, you the I can almost hear the question coming. Go ahead. <laughs> so here's the question I ask every author that comes on the show. What has been the good, the bad, and the ugly about writing and publishing books? The good is that I'm really pleased with the way that the book turned out. The bad is that I'm an author that when I when I'm when I'm trying to write, I speak better than I seem to write. When I write, I seem to get a little bit, you know messed up in what I'm trying to say. And then I look at it again and I go, you know, I'm not making my point. So find a great editing source, somebody who can you can rely on that has experience in crafting a couple of changes. You don't need to change what you're saying. You just need to change how you're saying it sometimes. Crafting, getting those resources is helpful. And, you know, that for me, that was like the, okay, you know, all right. And, and reluctance because you don't want anybody to change it. But as it turned out, they were extremely helpful for me in trying to gain some clarity in a certain sections by example mm. or by ways in which we can demonstrate the thing we're talking about. Yeah. The ugly for me is always like, okay, how much is it going to cost again? What do I got to do to get it out there? How many people do I got to talk to? How many podcasts should I be on? Man, that's, that, that list is long, right? And so you need to sort of change your framework on that and say, instead of it being ugly, you got to say, you know what, let's just have fun. And so that's what I've been doing. I'm, I'm, this is about my 20th podcast now in the last month and a half. I'm just trying to have fun talking with great people like you. And, uh, you know, I learn every time I'm talking, well, you know, how to say something or, or a new perspective or a new idea. Or today was the first day, Kim, when you were talking about, you know, what we said every every entrepreneur craves, which is that little playroom. I think that's brilliant. It could be a book for you. It's a brilliant idea. And so I don't know. Did I answer your question? I think I did. The good, the bad, and the yes, You did, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time. So Jim, you have time for one quick thought, final thought. And if people have enjoyed today's conversation, how can they connect with you? Two ways. Visionmakerbook.com. You can go and, and pre-sign up for it. I'm not selling the book pre-sale right now. All I'm really doing is making sure that you would know when it's released. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a, if you're in the middle of a book, you know that sometimes that varies, right? So I'm trying to get it out. We have cover design done, editing design, layout is done. Now we're ready to start publishing the final steps of publishing. And so you can sign up there. Also, if you go to vision-maker.net, you can Reach out to me if you have a vision and you're not sure what to do. I'll give you 15 minutes free. You just you just go in there, set an appointment, and I talk to anybody who wants to do that. And I mean anybody. I don't I don't limit that. Pushed all my clients to great mentors so that I have a year to talk about this. And this is what I'm dedicating my life to for a year. So if you wanted to talk about your little company and how you're doing it and you think it's too small, nonsense. Call me. We'll create a vision. Vision-maker.net. Wow. Sometimes it's hard to close off these episodes, but audience, if you have enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to scan back to episode 426. So I think this is like probably episode 446. So scan back about 20 episodes and Listen to Carla and I talk about how to grow a business from zero to seven figures. I think it would complement this discussion nicely. 
if you are on YouTube, you will find the thumbnail here somewhere. And uh, if you're on your podcast app, just scan on back. Audience, thanks so much for listening. I want to encourage you to have vision in your business. And we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. Bye, Kim. Bye, audience. You've You've been been listening listening to to the Author to Authority Authority Podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson and Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.